The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a Friday edition of PFTPM, January 29, nine days away from Super Bowl 55. Shereen Williams will be joining me momentarily. We just have some minor technical issues. I know if you watch the show every day, you're used to that. She will just disappear all of a sudden like the last scene of The Sopranos. We're trying to iron that out. We got a little workaround that we're going to put in place to get her through the hour with us. Joining us coming up during this one-hour edition of PFTPM, then again, they're all one hour, is Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times to get us ready for the Super Bowl from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers perspective. Did I mention it's only nine days away? It's amazing how fast the time goes between the conference championships and the Super Bowl. Next week, Super Bowl week, we'll have plenty of great interviews. Well, we'll have plenty of great guests. Whether or not the interviews are great depends upon whether or not we ask stupid questions, which is highly probable. We'll have plenty of great guests next week as we get ready for Super Bowl 55 from Tampa Bay. I'm not going, though. First time since 2009 that I have not gone to the Super Bowl city because of that little thing called the pandemic, a little thing called the Houston Texans trying to reverse a pretty clear perception slash reality of dysfunction, naming a new head coach today and then making him available to reporters. It was David Culley, the new coach, Nick Casario, the new GM. Let's hear from both of them. As it relates to the most important question surrounding not just the Texans, but the entire National Football League, what is the status of quarterback Deshaun Watson? Here they are. The only thing I knew about this whole situation at that point was is that I was being interviewed for, for this job to be the head coach. And I did know at that point Deshaun Watson's a Houston Texan. He's a quarterback of the Houston Texans. And that's all that I was concerned about. And that's all I knew. And and whatever was been said about what was been what he wanted to do or he didn't want to do, all I know is this: having been in this business this long, you know, he is a Houston Texan, and I want him to be a Houston Texan. And the reason I'm in this position today is because I knew he's going to be a Houston Texan. Organizationally, um, just want to reiterate our commitment to Deshaun Watson. Um, he's had a great impact on this organization, a great impact on a lot of people, a great impact on this team. And uh, we look forward to the opportunity to spend more time with them here this spring once we get started. And, you know, we have zero interest in trading the player. Um, we have a great plan, a great vision for, for him and for this team and his role on our team. And we look forward to the opportunity to spend more time with him here this spring. That was Nick Casario. Before that, David Culley. Now, Shereen Williams joining us. I'm sure, Shereen, you either heard just now or heard earlier today the things that Culley Casario had to say about Deshaun Watson. What was your first reaction when you hear the words, you see the delivery, and you get a chance to really think through the message they're sending? I think they want to keep uh, Deshaun Watson, but I don't know if that's going to be possible, Mike. He has made it clear that he wants out. Now, how they work that out, I don't know how, what, how that evolves. I don't know. But this is going to kill the Houston Texans, Mike. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. And I was studying every aspect of the press conference today for some sort of a clue, some sort of a sign. Mm -hmm. Are they planning to draw a hard line or are they just saying what they have to say, like Rick Spielman, the Vikings GM eight years ago, when Percy Harvin was rumored to be available in trade, the catchphrase from Spielman, and I still remind him of it all the time, we have no intent to trade Percy Harvin. Percy Harvin was traded a couple of days after he made that statement. Zero interest in trading Deshaun Watson, to me, means nothing. When it's snowing out and it's garbage night and it's time to take the bags out to the cans that are through six inches of snow, I have no interest in doing it, but I do it. 
So I heard nothing, and not just from that comment, I heard nothing that causes me to think they are taking a hardline position. A couple of additional snippets from Casario that I think are relevant. Let's begin with his comment after John McClain of the Houston Chronicle asked Casario what they intend to do to try to salvage the relationship with Watson. Here's Casario. The best way that you handle relationships is to communicate and be honest and be forthright. And we're going to do that with everybody that's in this building from equipment to training staff, to coaching staff, to personnel, to players. Yeah, look, you have to establish a line of communication before you can have the communication, Shereen. The problem is if he won't talk to Nick Casario, if he won't talk to David Culley, if he won't talk to Cal McNair, how do you change his mind? If his mind's made up and he's built a wall and he's taken your number out of his phone, if he's left the chat, if he's gone, if he's over, you can't communicate with him. He talked about getting him in there in the spring. Well, 95% of the offseason program, if they even have one this year, is voluntary. He doesn't have to show up. So they've got a lot of work to do before they even get to have the conversation. It's too late to have the conversation. You can't salvage without the conversation. Mike, you talked about if your boss calls, you answer the phone, even if you're on vacation and he didn't do that. And he's obviously not answering their calls now. So you know, it's now up to Nick Casario and David Culley to clean up the mess that was created by Cal McNair and Jack Easterby. And they've got to try to do that. And I don't think they have a chance to do that because of the mess that Easterby and McNair made of this. And it's a huge mess. And it's unfortunate for the Houston Texans and their fans. Houston Texans fans deserve better. This team deserves better. This organization does not deserve better, and they don't deserve Deshaun Watson. And he's not answering his phone, Mike. If I'm David Culley, I leave a message, which I'm sure he's already done now. And then I get Lamar Jackson to call him. And then I get other players that Deshaun Watson would have played under me, Tyree Kill, whoever it is, to call Deshaun Watson. And I would keep having those players call, various players. I don't know if that's going to work. I don't think it is. I think once you ask for a trade, as you said repeatedly, Mike, the bridge has been burned down. There's no turning back at this point. And David Culley's comments on the situation were a little bit confusing. He said, I'm in this position because I know Deshaun Watson's going to be here. That's just a guess. That's not information from Deshaun Watson. There was no suggestion that any of those guys have spoken with Deshaun Watson and gotten any sort of commitment. There was nothing to push back against the accepted narrative that he wants out. It's a given that he wants out. The question is, how do they turn it around? Another comment from Casario that caught my attention, and we'll listen to it right here. Casario was asked by another reporter about the timeline for figuring this out with Deshaun Watson. Let's listen to what Casario had to say. There's going to be some player decisions that we're going to have to make. So I think right now we're just going to take it one day at a time, focus on what we can control and what we can handle. Um, Today, the day is about David. And, you know, once we get through here today with David, the next thing we'll turn to is staff construction. And, you know, we're going to spend as much time as possible on that and, and what the vision is for the team and what the staff has in mind as well. So, We're just going to take it one day at a time and just try to make good decisions one day at a time and, you know, do what we think is best for the organization. Shereen, that was the moment where I concluded they are going to trade him and that the door is open to trade him and that anyone out there who's interested in trading for him should start submitting offers unsolicited to the Houston Texans. And eventually someone will make them an offer they won't and can't refuse. Because if you ask Nick Casario, what's the timeline for making a decision? The answer, if the decision is we're not trading him, is there is no timeline. We're not trading him. There's no timeline. He's a member of this team. He can play with us or he can play for no one. He has a contract that covers the next four years. He is our quarterback. We want him to be here and we will wait for him as long as it takes. And if he chooses to exercise his rights under the CBA to stay away from the offseason program, the mandatory minicamp, training camp, preseason, regular season, that's his right. But we're not going anywhere because we want him on this team. And we're here to tell our fans that he is a member of this team and he's not going anywhere. And if you say anything other than that, you're telling the rest of the league in not as many words 
make us an offer and eventually we won't refuse it. Yeah, I, I do think the door is open. If they get an offer, they can't refuse, Mike. And, I, and I'm expecting them to get an offer they can't refuse. And I'm in, in, expecting a lot of teams to get in on the bidding and call and say, hey, even if you're not listening, you know, here's what we're offering. If you are listening, if you ever are listening, and they do have a little bit of time here. And if they keep saying we're not trading them, maybe that helps the value go up in this thing, Mike. And maybe they figure out that they're not going to be able to work things out with Deshaun Watson when he doesn't answer their phone calls and doesn't respond and repeatedly says, I want to be traded through his agent. At some point, something has to give, Mike. But, you know, this organization has not earned uh, any credibility at this point, I think, with what they've done. Uh, in recent years, not just months, but years. And I have no faith that they're going to have this play out in their favor. I mean, I know it's a different GM. I get it's a different regime, but the Texans have been the Texans for so long that you just don't think that they're going to do this the right way, that they're going to do the best for the organization. I mean, we've seen it so many times. You go back to Jadavion Clowney, even back to Dwayne Brown, to DeAndre Hopkins, to Laramie Tunsil, all the trades they have made, Mike, they came out on the losing end of those trades, whether they were giving away players or getting players they gave up too much for. You look at Jadavion Clowney, Mike, they, they waited so long to trade him that they didn't get what he was worth. And I could see the same scenario playing out for the Texans. And they had to pay roughly $7 million of Jadavion yeah. Clowney's salary to get the deal done that got them a mid-round pick, and a couple of players in return. And, you know, there are some questions and concerns that football fans raise as it relates to this entire situation. And one of the questions is, why in the world would the Texans even consider doing this? How does it get to that point that they would consider it? They should never even consider it. The problem is they've let it get to the point where the guy wants out. The damage is already done. They've already screwed up whatever it is that they were able to screw up to get their franchise quarterback just what six months not even that after signing this long-term contract he's decided I want out that's on the team for failing to have the right relationship the right atmosphere the right everything that makes your franchise quarterback want to be there for the entirety of of his career and he's privy to things from being on the inside that we're not we've picked up some of it through the excellent reporting of folks like jenny Ventus and greg bishop of si.com but I, I assume watson knows even more about how nuts it's gotten for lack of a better term within the texans organization and it's driven him to the point where he wants out that's on the texans for having a dysfunctional shop that's not on the person who's reacting to the dysfunction by saying, I got to get the hell out of here. The only thing I would say, Mike, is it's on Deshaun Watson for signing that contract in, in September. And I know it was, a, what, $156 million, but he knew they'd already traded DeAndre Hopkins. He knew they didn't have a very good roster. And he knew that Bill O'Brien was still the head coach and the GM and Jack Easterby was there and all those things were in place. So I'm surprised that he signed the extension and now it has him in this position looking to be traded when he does have a no trade clause, obviously, and can dictate sort of where he goes, kind of, sort of. So, you know, they're both in this mess for reasons. And you know, I don't know how it how it works out in the end, but it's going to be fascinating to watch for however long it plays out. It's going to be the top storyline. We're going to be talking about this every single day, Mike, and I absolutely love it. One other thing about the contract, because you make a great point, and it dovetails with other questions that I get from people. He signed a contract. He has a contract. All he had to do was say, I don't want the extension. Well, at the time, maybe he hadn't come to the conclusion that I need to get the hell out of this place that has become a dysfunctional hellhole. Secondly, you don't say no to generational wealth. You clean up the mess on the back end once you acquire the generational wealth and the reward for what you've already done. The current labor deal doesn't give the players the reward on the way in it gives them the reward after they've put in a few years in Deshaun Watson's mind it's fair to conclude I got paid for what I've done not necessarily for what I'm going to do and finally 
let's remember, because there's always going to be an old school football guy that goes on TV or on radio and says he signed a contract. He needs to honor it. There are two contracts that apply to every player in the National Football League. One, the contract between him and his team. Two, the contract between all players and all teams known as the collective bargaining agreement. And it gives players clear rights to withhold services if they're willing to pay a $50,000 per day fine for skipping training camp. If they're willing to pay back signing bonus money they haven't earned yet if they retire, if they sit out a full season. They're not forced to work. They have rights. And even if they're technically violating the terms of their individual contract, they're fully within their rights, Shireen, under the broader contract. And this is a great reminder of that dynamic because, yes, technically, He's not honoring his contract, but technically he is because his contract is backed up by the CBA. And my modern era players are so empowered now. I mean, we've seen it. And when you start, I'm sure we're going to talk later about Jimmy Johnson and what he said, that he wouldn't trade Deshaun Watson no matter what they offered, even if it was Herschel Walker-like trade compensation. But let's go back to that time. There was no free agency. Players weren't empowered. It, it was different. There was no salary cap. Things were different then than they are now. And power, players do have power and they can dictate things about their, even if they have a contract, where they want to go, they can hold up. There's all sorts of things they can do that they couldn't do in the past uh, that is in now. And, and Deshaun Watson is, is absolutely exercising uh, that right. And and I have a feeling if the Texans don't trade him, I don't think we're going to see him. And I don't think we're going to see him for a while. Maybe it's like Dwayne Brown. Maybe he holds out into the season until they, they finally say, okay, he's really not coming back. And it's better to not see him than to have him show up and be the equivalent of Jalen Ramsey, where he's not practicing because of an injury that Otherwise, he would practice with if he was happy about his circumstance. Right. The injury. If he's not showing up early, staying late, studying the playbook, influencing and leading the team. Now, I don't think he's wired that way. But if I'm the Texans, I don't want to push that. I don't want to find out. I'd rather just pull the plug on it and realize that my best interests are to do a deal before the draft, ideally before the start of free agency on March 17, because if you wait until after that to work out terms, teams that may have been interested may make other plans. You want to get this done. If you're the Texans, you want to maximize value. You want to get it done before March 17, and then you want to formalize it when the new league year begins at 4.01 p.m. Eastern. That should be the objective by the Houston Texans. Whether or not they're smart enough to figure that out, remains to be seen because they're not smart enough as recent history has shown us to make their franchise quarterback happy and otherwise make good decisions about how the team is going to be operated. All right. They are hiring Lovey Smith to be the defensive coordinator. He's been out of the NFL for five years. He was jettisoned by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in what, and you know what? Dirk Cutter's retired now, so I can say it. People thought it was a palace coup. People thought it was an inside job, much like it was when John Gruden was fired for Raheem Morris. The thinking was they fired Lovey Smith for Dirk Cutter because Dirk Cutter was drawing interest elsewhere, and he was the guy who was supposed to get the most out of Jameis Winston. Now, after five years, at that, I, I haven't followed college football that closely over the fa- past five years, but I get the impression he wasn't very good as the head coach at Illinois. Now he gets to be the defensive coordinator, Shireen, at the Houston Texans. And it's a good move, frankly, for David Culley to surround himself with guys who have been head coaches previously because he has no head coaching experience. And as everyone's pointed out, he has no coordinator experience. So he needs a veteran guy. And Lovey is certainly that. They they didn't overlap in Tampa. Lovey came in after David Culley left Tampa. Uh, but I do think they have – they know they've gone way back and know each other. I don't think they've ever worked together before, but they do know each other. So I think this is a good pickup for the Texas – I think he's added some really good coaches, but the facts are they don't have very many good players, and that's what you win with. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And one guy who I guess could have been a candidate for that defensive coordinator position with some head coaching experience, but who is uh, wasn't available as of just a little bit ago, but now is Mike Pettin 
reportedly out in Green Bay as the defensive coordinator. And Shereen, you wrote the story that we had earlier this week, locking on to the quotes from Matt LaFleur, the coach of the Packers, criticizing Pettin's handling of that fateful play that resulted in a long touchdown pass to Scotty Miller, where he had his corners playing inside leverage, allowing them to get to the sideline and get out of bounds and make the field goal attempt shorter if they wanted to, or in the case of Scotty Miller and Kevin King, run right by the defensive back and into the end zone with only one safety deep. And in that one moment, in that one play that, oh, by the way, Matt LaFleur allowed the defense to actually use. So there's some blood on his hands as well. But Petten pays for it, Shireen, with his job. So in less than a week, right, special teams coordinator out Mm -hmm. in Green Bay, defensive coordinator out. Aaron Rodgers was right. No one's future's a given in Green Bay. <laughs> there are no absolutes, Mike, that's for sure. But yeah, Mike uh, LaFleur, th- Matt LaFleur threw him under the bus, Mike Pettin. And you saw that coming on Monday, uh, right after the game, based on LaFleur's quotes after the game. And he said, I, that shouldn't have happened. We shouldn't have been in that defensive alignment. And Tony Dungy is among those who called it the worst defensive alignment in that part of the game that he's ever seen. So it, it was obvious that his end was near. I'm surprised it took this long, frankly, five days after what we heard immediately after the game. We had Sean Payton on PFTPM not long after the debacle with the Jets against the Raiders where Greg Williams called what they mm-hmm. call the zero blitz where everyone rushes and you have man coverage on the receivers and there's no safety help and the Jets got burned and they were deprived of what would have been their first win of the season. Sean Payton explained the mechanics in that position. As the head coach, you're checking in. You're making sure that everything's taken care of. And what else was Matt LaFleur doing then? It's not like he's getting ready for the next offensive drive, like Sean McVay sitting on the Gatorade cooler. Remember that image from his first year with the Rams? He just basically let Wade Phillips take over while he went over and drew up some more plays. No, Matt LaFleur is there. So he's part of this, too, and he made the mistake of deferring to Pettin. Pettin made the mistake of making the decision, and now Shereen Pettin's out of a job. Yeah, and Kevin King made the decision to let Scotty Miller get behind him. I think he underestimated the speed of Scotty Miller, and here we are with Mike Pettin paying the price. Kevin King's headed to free agency, so, Mike, there's no absolutes in this business, right? Well, I don't think the Chiefs will be hiring Pettin as a defensive consultant unless they want to do the opposite of whatever he would suggest against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming up in nine days. Let's take a break. For more on the Buccaneers as they get ready for their first Super Bowl in 19 years, Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times will join us next right here on PFTPM. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And look at what we have coming up next week. Live from the Super Bowl with an asterisk. We're not going to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is coming to us, although the guests aren't going either. It's going to be a bunch of Zoom video interviews with the likes of Kyler Murray, George Kittle, Devontae Smith, Justin Jefferson, Christian McCaffrey, Chase Young, Emmett Smith, Joe Montana, and many, many, many more. It is a crazy, hectic week, and I can't wait for it. A guy who won't have to travel because he's in Tampa Bay covering the Buccaneers as they get ready for their first Super Bowl since the 2002 season. Rick Stroud at the Tampa Bay Times. Rick, what's the excitement level locally? I know it's a weird time with the pandemic and everything, but Tampa Bay Buccaneers, first team to host the Super Bowl and play in it. One to ten, what's the level of excitement down there right now? Well, I mean, given the circumstances, it's probably about a nine, nine and a half. I mean, it's unfortunate. You know, this is now, as you know, Mike, the city of champions. I mean, we've had, you know, uh, the, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, the Rays go to six games in the World Series, and now... Um, the Bucks, and there will be fans there, uh, you know, many of them from Tampa Bay, but 
look, they're pretty jacked up about the Bucs. It's been 13 years since this team was in the playoffs. You get Tom Brady and you go to the Super Bowl, the first one in their home stadium, you know, of any Super Bowl team. I mean, that's that's pretty heady stuff. So uh, they're living a fairy tale right now. They just wish that uh, more people could participate in it. Rick, you've been in Tampa, of course, forever. And when I got there in 1994, I think we were in the midst of the longest double-digit losing streak in the NFL and in history. And you mentioned how this city has really turned it around. But in your lifetime, when you're back covering all those bad teams, did you expect to see one Super Bowl, much less two Super Bowls, with the greatest quarterback of all time now quarterbacking this one? Because the first one was completely different from this. They had a mediocre quarterback and a really good defense. Yeah. You know, Shereen, I, I try uh, not to have memories of all those bad seasons, but you know, it's <laughs> the worst winning percentage in North American sports, right? I had the pleasure of covering all those losses, many of them with you. Um, and, and guys like Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks, they turned it around, you know, with Tony Dutchie, then John Gruden came in, got him over the hump and, and they won a couple NFC South titles after that, but never really got close. When you go 13 years without even going to the postseason, I mean, that's a that's a long time, right? And all those coaches, they had something like five and nine years. I mean, it's just been a parade through here. Um, so, you know, first Bruce Arians and the Winston thing didn't work out. But, yeah, who expected that when you started, you know, this time a year ago that Tom Brady would leave New England, come to Tampa Bay, and, and with all that was against him, would lead this team to a Super Bowl. I mean, it's really just – storybook and um, you know we'll have to see what the ending is in a couple of weeks in a week or so and Rick there were flashes early in the year suggesting that the Buccaneers were capable of this but there was a lot of bad as well whether it was the week nine game the blowout loss to the New Orleans Saints and then there they were week 12 seven and five the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs they go into the bye week they come out of it and they're seven and oh from seven and five to seven and oh what happened during that two-week period that allowed them to get to this point where they're unbeatable? Well, I think a couple of things, uh, you know, Mike. I, I think, first of all, uh, they actually played well in the second half against Kansas City. They got down in that game 17 to nothing. Offensively, they found some things. And then when they went to the bye week, I, I think that, you know, they needed time on task, really. Uh, you know, they, they got with Byron Leftwich. They gave Tom Brady some things that he needed more of, right? More of a commitment to the running game more play action, um, more pre-snap motion, some of those things that, that he was used to, uh, and yet he still ran their offense. And, and they got to get a, a little fat on some tomato cans, right? They played the Atlanta Falcons twice. They played the Detroit Lions. They beat up on some teams that weren't going very well. Minnesota was okay when they got here, um, but they got the confidence going. And it's really just grown week to week with his receivers. The defense uh, has come on, especially the last part of the year. And you know, voila. I mean, I, I credit a lot of it to Tom Brady, Byron Leftwich getting things together. You see the protection he has now. You see the commitment to running the football. Um, it's been all, you know, working together, and that's what good teams do. Rick, you mentioned that Week 12 game. In the first quarter, Tyree Kill went over 200 yards, um, and he ended up with 269 and three touchdowns. Did they learn how to stop him in the last three quarters of that game? Because that's obviously going to be a big storyline going into this game. How do they stop Tyree Kill? Well, they learned that Carlton Davis can't cover him man-to-man. I mean, you know, I like the, uh, the little uh, debate whether Scotty Miller or – Tyree Kill is faster. They should just ask Carlton Davis. He's been beaten by both of them. I mean, he would know, but um, I really, you know, I mean, Todd Bowles, uh, I don't, you know, I I often wonder like, what were the plans you rejected that night? Like, well, no, no, that defense won't work. Like that, that was your solution. So when the guy's doing backflips in your end zone and it's still the first quarter and he's got two honey on you, you might want to try something else. So what I would suspect, Shereen, is that you'll see some safety help. You might see some, some you know, man coverage or with, with safeties over the top. I mean, these guys have been really aggressive on defense, um, you know, trying to, to, to sit on some, some corner routes. But we'll see. I mean, they, they got to stop him. They were more worried, quite frankly, about Travis Kelsey in that game, which is why Tyreek Hill really got off. So you've got several weapons over there. And, of course, the quarterback, he just keeps running backwards 25 yards and throwing dimes. So it's, it's really hard to get pressure on them, even if you uh, get past that offensive line. 
That's the problem with Hill and Kelsey. You know, you'd ideally like to take one away. The problem is sometimes you take neither away, like we saw last week with the Buffalo Bills. Tom Brady has been great in his first season with the team. And I can remember back earlier in the year when Bruce Arians was periodically criticizing Brady. I, I had heard, you know, folks down there higher up in the organization a little nervous about it because above all else, they wanted Brady to want to come back next year. And I think it's a given he'll be back next year. How long do you think that relationship is going to last beyond 2021? Because my guess is Bucks fans want him to hang around as long as possible. And he's talked about playing until he's 45. I could see him playing longer than that. I could see him playing for the Buccaneers longer than that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think, you know, Bruce Arians has said that he expects Andy Reid to coach until he's 80 as long as Patrick Mahomes is around. And, and that's probably the, the direction that B.A. is headed. You know, all that stuff in the beginning of the season, it was shocking, especially to New England fans, to hear Tom Brady, the GOAT, get called out. But the reality is that's who Bruce Arians has always been. And I, I think we'd be remiss to think that Tom Brady didn't talk to Peyton Manning, didn't talk to... Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Palmer, he knew exactly what he was getting into, but with all that criticism, and, and usually it's constructive. I mean, he's not being personal about it. He'll tell you, your football sucks. You know, that's what he tells his players. I'm not not trying to be personal, but then he throws his arm around him. He's let Brady be Tom Brady. He can breathe a little bit. You've seen the social media game step up. You've seen him, um, you know, enjoying his time, uh, you know, in, in the sunshine, literally. So I, I just think that, you know, it, it was a, a refresher, uh, you know, a refreshing move away from Belichick for sure. Um, and he just had to get used to to Bruce's abrupt nature, especially in the media. But the coaches I talked to said he never complained. He never said anything about it. Um, he just came in every day and worked hard. And, and there never seemed to be a rift between anybody. Rick, this is a team that was better on the road this year than they were at home. They won all three postseason games on the road, and now we're making a big deal of, hey, they're the first team uh, in NFL history to host a Super Bowl in their own stadium. Yet there's only going to be 22,000 fans in there, somewhere around there. It's a corporate event, as we all know. Is there any type of home field advantage they're going to have in this game? Um, I don't even know if they're going to blast the cannons when they get in the 20, Shereen. So I, I would say probably not much, except that when you go on the road three straight weeks in the postseason, and, and yeah, I can attest it, it looked nice, but it was cold in Green Bay, okay? Um, they're happy to be back here and, and sleeping in their own beds, as they say. Kansas City's sleeping in theirs, by the way, until like Saturday night. So I don't think there's much of a home field advantage. There hasn't been one throughout – uh, the league this year, that's why they were able to do this. I think this was the year if you were going to go on the road and win, um, despite all the signs being smashed at uh, Lambeau Field, uh, you know, it sounded like a playoff atmosphere, but it wasn't like it would have been. So, um, look, I, I, they're in their own city. I mean, they got a visual reminder, Shereen, and this was the thing going into Green Bay. I mean, right across the stadium, as you know, or across the practice field, is this stadium that's, that's decked out for Super Bowl 55. So, I mean, that was sort of the carrot. And, um, you know, they can look over there and dream, and in a little over a week, uh, they'll have a chance to actually be in that game. And, um, you know, I think that's the home field advantage is that they've known it was going to be here. And the idea that another NFC team like the Packers or Saints would come in here and, and uh, take over that stadium, I think, was, was not too appetizing to them. Rick, I'm glad you mentioned the Cannons because I assume <laughs> we have a potential eyewitness here. Chris Sims claims that when he scored a rushing <laughs> touchdown against Washington in the playoffs in 2005, his celebration included throwing the ball in the direction of the pirate ship and into one of the cannon holes. He, they claim uh -oh. Al McGuire or Paul McGuire, not Al McGuire, different sport. Paul McGuire on the broadcast said it happened. Chris swears it happened. I have no visual evidence of it. Did you happen to see that one way or the other? No, I didn't see it one way or the other, but I, I would like to have seen it, and I think we would have been told about it before he told you guys. Um, that would have been maybe one of Chris. <laughs> and and uh, he made a lot of good throws. But, no, I don't remember that one. What I remember about Chris Sims is a, a throw to Edel Shepard, I think, in the back of the end zone that they said he didn't maintain possession or they would have maybe won a playoff game there. But, uh, nah, cannons? Uh-uh. <laughs> Rick, do you see this team possibly being better last next year, considering that they in the offseason they had no real offseason? The Saints look like they're going to be sort of rebuilding mode. Could this be an even better team next year? 
Well, I mean, presumably, right? I mean, you got to see who you can keep. I mean, they've got a lot of free agents, you know, starting with Chris Godwin. They've got to decide what to do with Shaq Barrett, who is their franchise player, and Domicon Sue, does he want to play another year? Um, you know, and, and then, you know, I, I do think that Tom Brady, with a year in this offense, knowing his receivers, um, you know, having a, uh, some kind of an offseason, whether it's OTAs or even a training camp or a preseason game or two. Remember, they started the year at New Orleans, which was really unfair for them because the Saints had all that time together with Sean Payton and Drew Brees and those guys. So I know what Brady's mentality will be, win or lose, is that, hey, you think this was good, wait till next season. But you guys all know that even Tom Brady didn't go every season to the Super Bowl. It just seems like it. It was about every other season. But um, with the NFC South, as you mentioned, if Drew Brees doesn't come back, is James Winston going to be the quarterback there? Carolina's still a long way from being a contender. Atlanta looks like they're starting over with salary cap problems. I mean, the Bucs will be favored. And the one thing they haven't done in a long, long time is win the division. And that certainly helps you uh, when you get into the postseason. Hey, Rick, great stuff. Enjoy the game next week. We appreciate some of your time. We look forward to talking to you down the road, buddy. Good seeing you guys. Thanks. All right. There he is, Rick Stroud, Tampa Bay Times. When we return, Sharina and I are going to propose specific trades, packages, teams, players, et cetera, for Deshaun Watson. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If I was David Culley, I'd go knock on his door, and I'd say, let's have us a Michelob Ultra. And I would talk to him. And I'd do whatever it takes. I'd put my ego aside and I'd say, hey, the best thing for you is to stay right here. You know, make concessions, do whatever it takes. Do not lose that player. Look, I understand what Jimmy Johnson's saying. I have a feeling he'd be drinking both Michelob Ultras if he was David Culley because yes. Deshaun's not answering the door. You're not going to get him at this point. You're not going to get him to talk to you at this point. Beer's not going to do it. Nothing is going to do it at this point. I understand the importance of keeping him, but that's something the Texans should have taken into consideration before they poisoned the relationship to the point where he wants out. So what Shereen Williams and I are going to do, we're going to put together proposed trade packages for Deshaun Watson, specific teams, specific terms. Shereen, I'll let you go first with your number one trade possibility. Well, we know that Deshaun Watson wants to play for Robert Sala, or we think that, right? Because he wanted the Texans to talk to Robert Sala. So the Jets make sense, and they also make sense because it's a big market team. And we know he wants the marketing deals, and he sees that as a good place to go for himself. He does have the no-trade clause, so it's going to be a little bit up to him in where he goes. I think Carolina, for instance, is going to be a big player in this if the Texans truly are listing the offers. And I think they're going to have a great offer, but I don't know that Deshaun Watson is going to want to go to Carolina, even though he did play at Clemson. I think the Jets make the most sense because of all those reasons and because of the draft capital that they have. So I'm going to propose the trade of Quinnen Williams. Sam Darnold, even though he might not long-term be their quarterback, he could at least be a bridge quarterback. Their first rounder, the number two overall pick, in which they could use that on the second best quarterback in this draft. A third round pick this year, the number 66 overall pick, and a first rounder in 2022 as compensation for Deshaun Watson. I think that is a pretty good deal for both teams. Look, for wherever he goes, Mike, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt that team where he goes because it's going to cost a lot to get Deshaun Watson out of Houston. Well, and see, that's the challenge for Deshaun Watson. 
you want out, but there's a sweet spot there of how much your new team gives up to get you because you don't want to jump from one 4-12 and team to another 4-12 and team because they've mortgaged too much of the future and or the present to allow you to be successful. If I'm the Texans, though, because my first proposal, same two teams, Texans, Jets. If I'm the Texans, I don't want your your semi-failed former first-round picks, although Quinnen Williams came on pretty well late last year. I want draft capital. I want to do what the Browns did a few years ago where they tore it down and acquired as many draft picks as I possibly can. I want the third overall pick. I want the first-round pick that the Jets got for Jamal Adams. And I want next year's Jets first-round pick, not the second Jamal Adams first-round pick. I want those three picks. That's the price of admission. To even continue the discussion with me, you got to come to the game with three first-round picks. Then we'll see how much more you may have to throw onto the pile because I'm going to try to set up an auction between you and maybe another team in your division. But three first-round picks minimum, and then you twist the teams that come with three first-round picks for another, whether it's a third rounder, second rounder, whatever it may be to get the deal done. So I don't want your players. If I'm the Texans, I want your picks. All right, Shireen, what's your second proposal? Well, and I have players in this proposal too, Mike, but I think that the Texans would much prefer to have him go to an NFC NFC team. We have no doubts about that. If they're going to trade him, get him to the NFC. Don't let him beat you in the AFC year after year after year because that's what he would do. So I'm going to say San Francisco 49ers because I think that'd be a place that he might want to go. He would agree to go to. Give me Jimmy Garoppolo. Give me Jeff Wilson because he just signed a restricted free agent tender. He's not going to cost all that much or an extension. I want Fred Warner, your best linebacker, because he is a playmaker on defense. We know that. Then I want your first rounder this year, which is number 12 overall. I want your first rounder next year, and I want your second rounder in 2023. Yeah, look, and that, that that makes sense as a destination. If I'm the 49ers, though, I think psychologically it becomes very difficult to trade that much stuff for a guy you could have had. They could have had Deshaun Watson. Yeah. They didn't do the homework on Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes or any of the quarterbacks in the 2017 draft because Kyle Shanahan thought he was getting Kirk Cousins via free agency in 2018. So my proposal number two would be to the Miami Dolphins – Same idea. Give me back my first round pick, which is third overall. That went to the (laughs) Dolphins as part of the Larry Laramie Tunsil trade. And I want at least two more first round picks. Your other earned first round pick this year and your first round pick next year to get to the table, to get to the auction between you and the Jets. This this is a way that Nick Casario can undo a lot of the dysfunction. You play this the right way. You get the Dolphins pitted against the Jets, and they start, you know, bidding higher and higher and higher to get the guy and to keep him from going to the other team. Now, I also don't want Tua Tonga-Vailoa because I'm not sold on Tua Tonga-Vailoa. I'll get my quarterback somewhere else. I don't want Tua. Maybe I'll get Matthew Stafford. Maybe I'll find someone else, but I don't want Tua Tonga-Vailoa. I want draft capital, three first-round picks, plus whatever else I can squeeze out of you as I pit the Dolphins against the Jets, Shereen. And it'd be a good way to rebuild, Mike, because they don't have draft cap, draft capital. They don't have cap space. They're a long way from contending, even if they do keep the Sean Watson, which leads me into the Texans are going to mess this up somehow, some way. We've seen it repeatedly. <laughs> so I, I'm not even going to go for a third trade scenario. I'm going to say they're going to try to hold on to him. They're going to wait until after the draft, which is a huge mistake. If you're going to trade him, you have to do it before the draft because you have to get a quarterback and you have to figure out what you're going to do for your future. It has to be before the draft. But I think they're going to mess this up to the point of it's going to be after the draft. They're going to sit on it. They're going to think they can talk him into coming back. Well, he has a contract. He's coming back. Of course he's coming back. We said he's coming back, and he's not going to come back. So I see them messing this whole thing up, Mike. And maybe trading him at some point in training camp or into the season and not getting the fair market value that they should have gotten. I I think that uh, that is far more likely than the scenario I'm about to propose, that they will screw it up and he will be there. And maybe they end up trading him at the deadline to someone for a lot less than they could have gotten in March. 
I've got a crazy three-teamer in mind, which would involve Deshaun Watson being traded to the Patriots and Matthew Stafford being traded to the Texans. So the Texans would get Stafford. The Patriots would send a first-round pick to the Texans, a first-round pick to the Lions to get Stafford to Houston, plus some other picks, second round, third round. Now, you're not getting your three first-round picks that way, but you are getting Matthew Stafford, and uh, the Lions are getting a one for Matthew Stafford. But a three-team deal where the Pats get Deshaun Watson, Bill Belichick and Nick Casario work together to craft this thing that they then sell to Brad Holmes and the Detroit Lions. It gets the Texans a quarterback. It gets the Patriots a quarterback. It keeps Watson from the Jets or the Dolphins, and it allows Belichick and Casario to renew acquaintances. That's crazy enough that it's probably more likely than a simple deal, but I could see some sort of a three-team trade here, Shireen, because you want, if you're the Texans, to get a quarterback. You don't necessarily want Sam Darnold or Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Yeah, or if you're going to get a high draft pick, Mike, you want that high draft pick, you know, two, three, four range so that you can get a young quarterback that you hope develops into Deshaun Watson. But, Mike, the problem for the Texans is when you look at those teams with those high picks, they're all AFC teams. Yeah, that's right. And you're going to have to deal with the possibility that Deshaun Watson isn't leaving the conference. But, you know, Nick Casario needs to spend every hour of every day thinking about trade scenarios. And uh, feel free to take our advice, Nick. You're guaranteed to get your money's worth. We're going to take a break. When we return, uh, a little mailbag and more as we wrap up this pre-Super Bowl week of PFTPM. We'll be right back. How about this? From 26 years ago, Super Bowl 29, Steve Young unstoppable for the San Francisco 49ers against the then San Diego Chargers. It was the NFL's 75th season. They had those throwback uniforms. They got permission to wear them the rest of the way. And Shireen, my sources tell me that was your first Super Bowl covering the NFL. It was my first Super Bowl. My first year in the NFL was 1994 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as we discussed with Rick. And there I am. Look at that hair. My natural hair color. I think I had a perm. So that was back in the day, Mike. <laughs> we, were, we were really young back then. Who are the other two people? They're from the Austin American Statesman, Kirk, Kirk Bowles and uh, Rick. Uh, from the Austin American Statesman. So uh, it was a fun time. This will be the first one I've missed since then. I've been to every Super Bowl since then. And uh, unfortunately, we won't get to see the Bucks in the Super Bowl, but we'll get to see them on TV. I asked my husband the other day, how do you spend Super Bowl Sunday? I, I don't know what to do. It's been so long. Well, I've been to every one since Super Bowl 43, with the exception, exception of Super Bowl 50, because the next day we were launching PFT Live as a 6 a.m proposition and I didn't want to do a 3 a.m. radio show and and simulcast from California so we didn't go to Super Bowl 50 and that kind of hurt but it was kind of nice too it's kind of nice to be you know have a Super Bowl party and have people here and oh wait we can't do that this year either so it's going to be me and my son down in the barn watching the Super Bowl and uh, it's a nice break from all the hustle and the bustle and the craziness of Super Bowl week but it still will be a fun week because We're going to be on every day and we're going to have interviews with a lot of great players, coaches, whoever else we wrangle between now and next Friday when we go off the air. Um, A question from Nyata Thomas was Steve Young's sixth touchdown performance in Super Bowl 29, the greatest individual performance in Super Bowl history. Well, it certainly ranks right up there, Mike. And I remember that one. And you remember when he pulled the monkey off his shoulder and and, uh, threw it down because he'd finally done what Montana did for the 49ers. Uh, they're all, all my top ones are all 49ers. I mean, you look at Jerry Rice in Super Bowl 23, the 11 catches for 215 yards and the touchdown. And the Joe Montana and Dan Marino Super Bowl in 84, that was probably the greatest quarterback matchup that we'd ever seen up until this year. But Montana was outstanding in that game, 331 yards and, and three touchdowns. And he ran for 59 yards and another touchdown. So those would be probably my top three from the offensive standpoint. Of course, Von Miller had the great game a few years ago, but those were outstanding performances, all three of them. 
Peter King mentioned the Marino and Montana matchup from Super Bowl 19. It ended up being very, very disappointing. Uh, it was a blowout win, 38-16, to 16, yeah. I think, was the final score of that Super Bowl. The win at Stanford Stadium by the 49ers, close to home, but not quite home. And it's funny that I'm thinking of Peter King because the Steve Young Super Bowl, Peter tells a story about Steve Young throwing up red Gatorade all over all over Peter's, I think, shoes or something. I, I can't remember exactly where it happened, but it's an unpleasant story that he tells from time to time about his experience with Steve Young that night. Um, when, when I think of great individual performances, I can't help but think of Terrell Owens from Super Bowl 39. Yeah. Nine catches, 122 yards, best player on the field that day. Still had a broken bone in his leg from the Roy Williams tackle in the regular season, the Cowboys safety, the rule would be named for him, the horse collar tackle rule. And Shereen, I've been talking about thinking about T.O. a lot now because it, it shows me how much our attitudes have shifted. They haven't completely evolved, but they've shifted because Terrell Owens wanted greater financial security from the Eagles after he played that heroic Super Bowl. He wanted more guaranteed money from the Eagles. Their attitude was, you've signed a contract. Too bad. Tough crap. Deal with it. And he became incredibly disruptive until the point that they kicked him out of the building and eventually released him. But uh, fans were much less forgiving to T.O. in 2005 than I think they would be today and that I think they will be for Deshaun Watson wanting out of Houston. There's no question, Mike, and it's a great point because I remember him doing sit-ups in the driveway and all those things that he was doing, and he was really uh, harshly criticized. And we haven't seen that from Deshaun Watson now. I'm sure there are Texans fans out there who are mad at Deshaun Watson right now, but we're not hearing the criticism of Deshaun Watson for asking for a trade because we're more used to these trade scenarios perhaps than we were back then. I think part of it, too, is he hasn't said anything. He hasn't done anything. Right. It's just reports. And I think that maybe if you're an Arden Texans fan, you're just hoping that if you ignore it, everything will be fine and everything will be normal and training camp opens and Deshaun Watson's there. I have a feeling that's not going to happen in part because I have a feeling he's going to be traded before that all comes to an end. But players have more rights and greater power than they ever have. And I think that's good for sport. I still don't know why, Shereen, the fans line up with the billionaires against the millionaires because if anything you can identify yeah. with the players not the billionaires who live in this alternate reality isn't that the truth mike let's side with the millionaires instead of the billionaires every time all right well have a great weekend everybody shereen thanks again great work as always thanks to rick stroud thanks to you and we'll see everybody back here on monday Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.